Rodgers has it. Gives to Franklin. He no, dies. No, I don't think no, he got it. I no, don't think he got out, it. The ball is out. The Bengals have scooped it up. Bouncing in the pocket, his throw caught at the 10-yard line. He's nice, nice. straight into the end zone. Touchdown, Bengals. It's a TD. Hello and welcome to episode 165 of Cincinnati, the Bengals UK podcast. Hello and welcome. We took a week off last week. And goodness me, doesn't the NFL move fast? A week off and it's all going off. Franchise tags. Free agency next week. The Combine. Nathan Palmer. It's all going off. Um, we've got a lot to talk about, haven't we, Nathan? We do indeed, my son. Um, nice to have a week off last week and just escape the madness that was the last sort of five, six weeks, you know, um, time to reset. But exactly like you said, you give it a couple of weeks and madness, you know, all this combined stuff, free agency murmurings, franchise tags. It's got it all, my son, isn't it? It really has. And uh, I guess we're just used to having a longer off season, aren't we? And uh, I guess the coaches are as well. But no, they're thrust straight back into the action. Uh, As are we. We took a week off, but we're here for the long run. Leading up to free agency and then, of course, the draft. We've got our usual draft coverage. Andrew Dockerell has been uh, banging out the mock drafts. I know that there's another one coming up um, this week, a post-combine draft uh but of course we came out this week um because it's tradition now we do uh an episode themed around international women's day and again it's uh, it's something that uh, i think is is very important we're always looking to grow and unite this fan base in the uk which has obviously uh blossomed during the super bowl run lots of new followers and fans of the bengals and we're keen to really make hay really and and really attract uh in this particular week female um uh fans of the bengals because uh i don't know about you nathan but i uh, walking around uh recent super bowl party it was a really nice atmosphere because there was okay you know it's still a blokey sport but there was a nice gender balance at that super bowl party uh people brought their partners and uh, it was just a much nicer atmosphere, I think. So it just proves that the more female fans, the better, I think. And uh, did you find that? I mean, you know, your your wife, Rosie, came and uh, I met a young woman yeah. from Newport called Rasha and Cherie Lim, who we'll be hearing from a little bit later. Of course, we've had Lucy Huskinson as well on previously. Yeah, just throughout that Super Bowl party, it was just a really nice atmosphere. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think you, you're exactly right. I think the NFL does do quite a good job of attracting female fans more so. And I know we've talked about this in the, in the past, but more so, I think, than soccer in the UK does. It tends to be a slightly better balance, I think, of, of fans. And that's a great thing to see. You know, some really lovely people at that meetup and meetups we've done in the past. So, yeah, fantastic, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as ever, uh, we have, again, we're lucky. We have, um, or at least the Cincinnati media is full of um female sports journalists and we have them on during the year but we always like to have a special guest on here uh, 
on our International Women's Day uh, podcast. And this year, we've got a brilliant one. We have uh, Sarah Sherman, who is, of course, uh, well, she's lots of things, but uh, specific to the Bengals and this podcast. She's Mrs. Zach Taylor. Mrs. Zach Taylor is coming up a little bit later, and it is a brilliant listen. She'll give us the lowdown on what it was like inside the Taylor household during the Super Bowl run. She talks about what it's like to be a coach's wife. Of course, she was a coach's daughter as well. Lots of really fascinating and interesting insight there as well. And going forward, what she expects to see from the Bengals. There's some really interesting stuff in that conversation. So stand by for Sarah Sherman a little bit later. Um, But of course, International Women's Day falls a week before free agency, about a month or so away from the draft. So there's a lot to get into. First of all, did you watch any of the Combine this weekend, Nathan? I did, but a lot loads, but I certainly watched some of the highlights, some of the key performers. Um, it just makes you feel more and more athletic the older you get every year, doesn't it, I think? <laughs> um, oh, dear. That defensive, those defensive tackles, I mean, in the 40-yard dash were just ridiculous, weren't they? Well, I, I, it's not only that. It's that the guys every year just seem to get faster. I mean, obviously, John Ross and Chris Johnson were those four two twos and four two four forty yard dashes. But you, you see now, like guys every year getting in and around that, and it's not you know quite as unusual to be getting into the four twos now. I mean, just some extraordinary athletes knocking around, you know. Oh yeah, and you fancy some of those defensive tackles on the Bengals, don't you? Your Jordan Davises and Devonta Wyatts and all that sort of. Those guys and the cornerbacks are flying and and we need a cornerback, don't we, I think, if uh, they don't sign or re-sign Eli, Eli Apple. Um, yeah, it can't help you get a bit excited and uh, making you feel a bit funny in the tummy when you see those big lads run. But I, I do kind of miss those days when the, when your Andre Smiths, uh, the, you know, the really big lads from yesteryear, just whipped their tops off, had a big old run-up. And just let everything <laughs> jiggle around. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not just me, is it? You miss those days. I'd see what that, that's got to go down as one of the worst PR moves in history. That is from his agent at the time because it's such a memorable moment in combine history. But um, yeah, I think everyone's got a bit of a soft spot for that moment, haven't they? Well, Andre Smith had various soft spots uh, during that <laughs> during that forty yard dash, and yet he still had. A uh, pretty long and successful career. Didn't quite live up to his uh, billing, didn't he? But uh, he did have a he did have a pretty solid NFL career, I think. Um, now, uh, lots of news. Uh, James Betcher has really is uh, replaced Al Golden as linebackers coach, and he has defensive coordinator experience with the Giants and the Cardinals, I believe. So on paper. Uh, that looks a really good signing. He's just come from San Francisco. Uh, Charles Burks has come from uh, Miami to take over Steve Jackson's job in the secondary. Cornerbacks coach, has, uh, they've added another guy in the offensive line room. And of course, uh, there's been lots of news and rumours. Who are we going to pick up? Who are we going to sign in free agency? Rumours that it's going to be Ryan Jensen, the um, the centre from Tampa Bay, maybe it's Jensen. I'm not quite sure, but I'm going for Jensen, the more European. Uh, Can uh, I just say something here, I'm going to butt in and be be rude, but no, I all those rumours are absolute, <clears throat> absolute bollocks. <laughs> 
Basically, oh. if you read the reports, it's just like, oh, the Bengals are expected to be interested in. Yeah. So, of course, they're, they're, they're expected to be interested in every free agent lineman. I don't think there's anything concrete there. No, at no, all. no, not at all. But, you know, you pick up on little, you know, these rumours and you think, oh, I want, you know, I don't know. In soccer in the UK, when there's like an actual rumour and someone's like, yeah, this club has made contact with, or you feel like there may be, you know, there are some truth to it. But, like, that's literally the equivalent of just saying, you know, oh, the Bengals might be interested in JC Jackson up because he's a cornerback and he's good and the Bengals probably want a cornerback. I mean, it's just. A lot of waffle. I, I think that it, it's completely open as to what the Bengals are going to do. I would not rule out a trade. Um, I think they're going to be thinking outside the box. I don't think it's going to just be as simple. I mean, I, to be fair, I hope it is as simple as they take one of the top shelf um, offensive linemen off the board. But I, I think it's wide open as to what they could do here. Um, well, it, I, I think it, is, it is silly do. season. You get like people say, yeah. oh, we should sign Gronkowski. Gronkowski says he quite rates Burrow, so therefore he's interested in coming to the Bengals, so we must sign him. And it's like, well, you can't sign everybody. You've got to be... And, of course, we've got to look at how the Bengals have operated in the past in free agency. They've been quite methodical. They've targeted their needs, first and foremost. And um, I expect them to do the same, you know, in this uh, free agency class. And everything that was coming out pre-combine suggests that they really want to bring the majority of the guys that got them to the Super Bowl back. And that means your CJ Uzamas, your BJ Hills, your Larry Ogunjobis, your, you know, Eli Apples even. You know what I mean? Maybe your Quinton Spains. Maybe they keep Trey Hall. I don't know. I, I really don't know. Like, like you said, you, your point is we just don't know. Uh, and, of course, you know, Adam Jones going on his podcast and kind of saying he's heard little whispers that the... The Bengals are going after Ryan uh, Jensen. Um, but, you know, they can't really do anything at the moment because it's not inside the legal tampering uh, 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 time, is it? So, I don't know. Lots. Of, it's it's kind of fun this time of year, but also it's also infuriating because you kind of, you go on that, especially that fan-sided, you know, you are the GM, here's your guys, here's your budget, off you go. And it is the most unrealistic simulator. I mean, it's a, it's good fun, and their uh, mock draft simulator is fantastic. But certainly their, their kind of roster-building um, uh, simulator is a load of old cods, you know what I mean? You're looking at, you know, the, you, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I signed Jesse Bates for $8 million and it's like, yeah, well, that's not going to happen, is it? That's we're looking at least double that amount. And, um, we should get you at the table, son, negotiating if we can get him for $8 million. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd be up for that. And we'll I, you off as well as $8 million. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, we're recording this Monday, the 7th of March, and, of course, the franchise tag deadline is tomorrow tuesday the 8th at 4 p.m eastern and it's widely expected that jesse bates will receive the franchise tag which is about 13 and a half million for the year and then of course they've got until july to uh, work something out so and you know jesse bates apparently has unfollowed the bengals on social media i'm not quite sure how how someone worked that out but uh, he's he's replaced the phrase Bengals safety to just safety on his social media profiles. He tweeted something about, you know, uh, yesterday's price is not today's price on his, his Twitter feed. So everyone's going nuts. Goodness me, fans get very anxious very, very quickly, don't they? Uh, when things like this happen, it's just it is silly season, let's face it.
Yeah, it is. And I think the Jesse Bates situation is a difficult one for the Bengals because he's a good player, Jesse Bates. He's been very consistent. Um, I don't know if he's... <clears throat> I don't know if he's absolutely unbelievable, elite, top one, two, three safeties in the NFL, but he is very good. He had that one bad year the year before. I think he had a 56 PFF rating, which wasn't fantastic. But the, the key is for the Bengals, do you want to be paying a safety... Um, which is not one of the most impactful positions, let's say, in the NFL, like top 15 million a year or whatever over, you know, spread across three, four years. So a lot of money to put down. There's obviously a lot of extensions coming up. They're going to have one eye on Burroughs extension that's going to come up at some point in the next, next couple of years. Year, so, next year. Yeah, exactly. So, so you, you've got to think about, you know, what players are you sort of um, basically having as like cornerstone pieces of the franchise, I guess. And it does Jesse Bates fall into that. Are you willing to pay him? top shelf money do you think he's a guy that's going to get better etc etc so it's an interesting one but i think the problem they've got the bengals and it's a it's again the pr side of it more so than anything else it's like if they let a guy like jesse bates walk and i'm, and I'm not saying they'll be too bothered about this because at the end of the day the, the, uh, the personnel moves that they've made over the last couple of years got us to a super bowl we've got to remember that but it does beat that tired narrative of the bengals don't um, pay to keep their own players. You know, they very much used to. That used to be the sort of the whole thing, wasn't it? If you're drafted by the Bengals, they're very loyal. They'll extend you. They like to keep their own, like they did with Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, etc. But with people like, you know, Carl Lawson walked out the door. He went off to the Jets. Obviously, you know, he got injured. Um, we didn't retain him. But Bates now is that in that kind of realm, isn't it? If he, if he goes, there's going to be a lot of very unhappy Bengals fans saying, you know, what are you doing? You've got all this cap room. I think fourth most in the NFL. This guy's a good player. He's good in the locker room. Um, and he, you know, rightfully so wants a lot of money. He doesn't, I mean, I think he I was reading the other day. He only, I think up until now has been earning like about a million dollars a year, which compared to, you know, a lot of other players around the league is not a lot of money when you consider all the tax and everything else. So he's been in the league a while. He wants to get paid. He wants something more long term because, you know, God forbid he turns around um, in the off season and, you know, tears his ACL and MCL and he's never the same player, you know, for his family and for everything that he's done, there's a lot of money at stake. So I completely get it at his end. I get it from the Bengals end. I've got a funny feeling and a bad feeling that we're going to tag him and it could get a bit, a bit messy because I thought he was a real professional last year because there was chats around like, Oh, is he going to turn up to camp? Is he going to do this? Is he going to do that? Is there any chance that he might hold out because he didn't get a deal last year? And he did everything. He played one of the probably his best year for us. No trouble, no unprofessionalism, nothing. But I think now he's sort of upping the heat a bit. And I don't think that he's going to be that. I mean, 30 million is 30 million. But I do think that, you know, he's going to be thinking something long term. There's a lot of teams out there, I'm sure, that will pay him something more long term. So it's a bit of chess at the moment, a bit of poker. Um, but I've got a feeling that the Bengals might not. Um, extend him long term I, I could well be wrong I just don't get the impression that perhaps they're willing to spend that sort of money that he wants um, long term I think they certainly want him but I think that it feels like there's a bit of a gap there at the moment Last year Jesse Bates uh, earned $2.433 million which uh, the last year of his rookie contract so Naturally, that's going to go up uh, substantially because I, I did think he played at an all-pro level during the playoffs. He was a bit up and down during the year. I mean, he was solid enough, do you know what I mean? But not, I mean, he wasn't quite to the standard where he was the year before. 
I think he's a good player and I just think they really like him as a person and as a leader as well. And the Bengals, as we know, really value that. You know, the, yeah. you talk about CJ Uzama as well and the the noises from all the journalists are saying, of course they're going to sign CJ Uzama. You know, it's a no-brainer. He was the heart and soul of that locker room. And even though there's a strong free agent tight end class and there's a there's a really quite a solid looking tight end class in the draft as well um i think uh i think they're looking to you know looking to re-sign cj no problems you know so trouble is you can't sign everyone that's the, that's the problem as you say burrows uh they'll start talking about burrows extension next year then you, of course you've got t higgins as well a year after that you know you can start talking about <laughs> jamar chases you know I think uh, this is the last year Von Bell under contract. Um, You know, DJ Reader's coming up at the end of next year, I believe. So, you know, it's just a constant, you know, as you say, chess game and also jigsaw puzzle as well. Um, So it'll be very, very interesting. We're talking about all this, but of course the biggest news, Nathan, I think, was what happened in uh, last episode when we did an end-of-season instalment of First and Ten, and there was some major controversy uh, because I asked a question. I asked you um, how many Bengals uh, were selected for the Pro Bowl. Uh, You said three. I gave the answer as two and said that was the correct answer, but you were correct, and that kind of almost finished off your drive. It was very controversial, Nathan. I, I just think that and I'm glad there's been a stewards inquiry and <laughs> it's been launched. And I think that on behalf of Bengals UK, Sam, we're going to have to issue you a warning for your conduct on the, the last episode of first and 10. Cause I mean, it's just, it's not the standards that we expect from you. Well, I I'm perfectly happy to hold my hands up. Um, I don't have an excuse for that. It was uh, an oversight, uh, a ridiculous oversight, but I am willing to give you another chance if you're up for it Ooh. to, to complete your drive, if that's the right uh, word. Of course, first and ten, if you've not heard this before, is a kind of irregular quiz game where um, it's basically a general knowledge quiz placed upon a uh, an NFL field. You answer questions uh, that equal various uh, yardage. So, for instance, an easy question is five yards. A medium question is 10 yards. And a a hard question is you can score it all from any point in the field. And um, you've got 12 questions to move the ball and score a touchdown. It's actually harder than you think. Um, You were on question eight and you were on third and five when I asked that question. Uh, You were on your opponent's 45. So would you like to have another crack at it? Of course, I'm with Sam. So that means I've got a first down. I'm at the forty. No, no, no. You, you're on third. You're on question eight, third and five, and you're on the opponent's forty-five yard line. Let's pick it up. What are you going to go for? I'll go for a five-yarder. Okay. Who became the new defensive line coach in 2022? Sorry, 2021. I almost bugged that up as well. Basically, who was the new uh, defensive line coach? Marion Hobby. Correct. Question nine, first and ten at your own... Oh, sorry. What is wrong with me? Your opponent's 40-yard line. 
I'm going for the touchdown, son. I'm just going. I'm aiming, angling it out from here. Okay. Auden Tate caught three passes for 39 yards and a touchdown this season. Who did he score the tuddy against? Oh. Um. Oh, goodness me. Um. I love Yo. it. I love it when you make sexy, no- sexy thinking noises. It's like, right, honestly, the season feels like ten years ago. It like, really I can't. Does. The regular season, especially, it's just like absolute liquid in my brain. That I am going to say the Chargers. No, it was the Detroit Lions. <sighs> Question ten. Touchdown! I'm going all the way. Just full aggression now, son. Okay. In which game did Larry Ogunjobi sustain a season-ending foot injury? Um, it's just for the end of the season, wasn't it? Or did it, it was in the playoffs. The Raiders game in the playoffs. Oh, he's only gone and scored a touchdown. He's only oh. gone and done it. He's only gone and done it. The Raiders yeah, wildcard game. He's pulled it out of the bag. He has redeemed himself on question 10. Well done, Nathan. Good work. This is what I mean, son. It puts your error to shame even more now because you you nearly cost me a touchdown on first and 10. There we go. It was almost as heinous an error. Uh, it, well, not quite, but uh, uh, you can compare it to the, the defensive holding call against Logan Wilson in the Super Bowl, can't you? I would, I would say. <laughs> right, now that controversy is cleared up, let's bring in our first guest for International Women's Day. Uh, as promised, we always like to speak to a female Bengals fan. And this year we have uh, Cherie Lim from London. Cherie, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good, thank you. How are you? All right. Now, the last time I saw you was at the Super Bowl party and um, we all experienced heartbreaking loss and devastation, but we had a good time that night, didn't we, I think? We did. I left in quite a hurry, to be honest, um, (laughs) to lick my wounds on the night bus home. Um, So I might not have been as friendly on the way out as I was on the way in. In fact, no, I didn't. I can't remember saying goodbye to you, actually. I think you just probably stormed out and uh, kicked someone in the <laughs> head on the way home. I don't know. Um, Sheree, we'd never met before. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not claiming to know every single Bengals fan in the country. That would be ridiculous. Um, but um, how I want to know, we always like to find out, you know, fan stories on this show. And uh, we're always trying to grow the fan base and be as inclusive as possible, which is why we do this International Women's Day themed podcast. So tell us your story. First of all, how 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 did you become a Bengals fan? Yeah, sure. So um, I got into the sport in, I think, around 2016. And um, I mainly got into the sport through my partner. Um, he is a massive American football fan, massive NFL fan. And to be honest, it was just through him. We support different English football teams. So that is pretty contentious. And he's actually supported the Bengals since something like 2008. So 
it kind of made sense that we would just support the same NFL team. And you know, he really got me into the sport, got me into the Bengals. So um, I really attribute my, my fanhood to him. And then we actually found out about Huda UK through um, the Bengals subreddit. Ah, that's really interesting. Now, I'm not active on Reddit at all, but so we've reached Reddit. That's a really good thing. So um, how long have you been a Bengals fan for then? Have you have you been together since 2008 or is it? have you been seeing each other? I mean, not to go into it too personally, but you know what I mean? How long have you been a Bengals fan? That's all right. You can know uh, my my life story. Um, we've we've actually been together almost almost uh, ten years. So right. um, when I got into the when I got into the sport, um, I to be honest, I just love sport in general. Yeah. I love all sport, and um, you know I, I just was generally like interested in the Super Bowl, and obviously because of the time difference, can't watch a lot of the games, and it's restricted on so many channels. So yeah. there's a bit of a high barrier to entry, to be honest, watching in the UK and Europe, but. Um, I always like to, you know, try to find out a bit more about sports where I can. So I knew that he knew so much about the sport. You know, he knows everything about the college draft. Um, you know, he pretty much knows everything about the NFL. So yeah. that was a good place for me to start asking him general questions about the sport. And then when I actually wanted, uh, you know, you always want to support, start supporting a team. Uh, much more fun that way. So that was a team he supported. So I started kind of following the Bengals then but to be honest I would say in the last three-ish years since I've been watching more mm. um, I've been understanding more understanding more of the rules understanding more than just who the Bengals QB was yeah. um, you know understanding more about you know just things like how important the O-line are that mm. it's not just about the QB understanding the rules understanding the different plays understanding you know, how important you know, each individual player, coach, play is. Um, so really, I'd say the last probably three years, I've definitely become a much more engaged and active fan of the sport and of the Bengals as well. I mean, you chose almost the worst time to become, a, you know, really get into it because the, the, yep. the two years previous to the last one were just dreadful, weren't they? Did you think, oh, goodness, I've made a right old bloody mistake here? <laughs> um, Yes and no. Honestly, <laughs> I know this sounds so ridiculous, but I just really enjoyed watching watching the NFL um, with with Guy, my my partner, mm. every week. And I think um, he probably hated watching with me because I would just ask some ridiculous questions. I <laughs> wouldn't understand why why we'd want to you know tank tank Commander Finley. I didn't understand any of those things and. You know, now I understand now why, because we have Joe Burrow and we have Jamar Chase. Mm. And that's really why you want to tank. Um, but at the time, you just want to see your team win. So um, I think I enjoyed watching those years more than he did. Um, he's just, you know, got so much emotional baggage, sadly, from watching the <laughs> Bengals. But um, I, I guess now at least I have, you know, a morsel of, of the sort of uh, pain that real long-term Bengals fans have had. So at least yeah. I joined at a time where I definitely can't be called a bandwagon fan. No, you can't. Um, but you did get to experience last year, which was just, I mean, doesn't matter whether you're a fan of 40 years, four years or, you know, 14 years. It was an extraordinary year. Uh, any particular favourite? I mean, you must have been going nuts. I mean, I know that you posted... Uh, some some celebratory and res response videos on Twitter, and your household was going mad. And uh, like many other 
many other households across the country. So uh, give us some um, give us some favourite memories from from the season that's just gone. Um, I think, I mean, how can you forget the first Chiefs win? Um, mm. Just pretty incredible. <clears throat> I would also say that first win against the Ravens. I just think finally seeing the dominance of Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow as a combination. Yeah. Um, it's it's hard not to enjoy. Um, I've never really watched games with other people. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that first that first playoff win, just so special. We ended up in a bar in Camden and you know bumped into a guy who was from Cincinnati over here with work just for one week and his mm. friend had brought him to the same bar. So just being able to share those kind of moments because... It's really nice being able to watch, you know, even just with one other person here. But obviously, it's not the same as <clears throat> being in the state in Cincinnati and watching with a whole host of other fans. Sure. So, I think it was just those moments, and obviously the relief of getting the first playoff win, um, really, really, really special. And I just think the the team atmosphere is really amazing. Mm. Um, I know, like the, the the Bengals social media team have done such an incredible job and. I was just like itching to see the the you know Instagram post the next day of you know who got game balls and yeah. um, Joe Mixon just doing ridiculous Instagram lives um, that were just <laughs> they were just <laughs> they were just ridiculous yeah. um, but just seeing that kind of camaraderie which hadn't really been a thing um, before and I think we all kind of became um, Zach Taylor converts really didn't we as the season progressed just seeing that. The impact he had on the locker room um, mm. was really incredible. Indeed, and we've got uh, Mrs. Zach Taylor coming up on the podcast later, so um, stick around for that, Sherry. Um, just to finish this up, I say it was so cool to meet you, and you know, you did a, in a very short space of time. You did some stuff for us. You went on to Channel Five, the NFL show, with a bunch of us, and I was keen to get you involved. And um, I hope you enjoyed the whole experience of getting involved with other fans across the country and social media. Um, as I say, this is an International Women's uh, Day themed podcast and episode. So if you were if you were talking to a, a potential fan of the NFL, whether it be a young girl or a, or a woman, what would you say to them if they were kind of on the edge? They kind of think, oh, it's a blokey thing. You know, it's all a bit, you know, what would you what would you say to them to kind of twist their arm? I would honestly say it's, you know, what for me, uh, the best and most fun sport I ever watch. Some advice, I would just say try to maybe reach out to, to someone who knows a bit more about the sport. For me, enjoyment of the sport is, you know, infinitely more when you actually understand what's going on. So find the community, you know, find, find the fans on Twitter, find the fans of Reddit, of whatever team you support. Find a friend that you can nerd out with. Um, American football is a really nerdy sport. It's mm. really, you know, it's it's quite technical, and you know, being able to understand those intricacies makes it really enjoyable. So, just find someone who you can kind of geek out with and and find the community. And for me, that's been so enjoyable. And um, you know, I just want to say a massive thank you to you guys as well for putting on such an incredible event. Um, quite a diverse event as well. Uh, lots of different types of um, fans from various backgrounds and 
um the the event in general that you put on was amazing the the lengths you went to and and the details were um incredible and it was such a fun night despite the result well, that's very kind. And I think you've just hit the nail on the head. You know, I think, um, you know, we, we've sort of made, we've been doing our, doing this since sort of 2014 and we made so many friends of different shapes, sizes, genders, colours, creeds, you know, and opinions. You know what I mean? It's it's just remarkable. And that's, and that's the funnest thing for me about this, doing this. It's all about the community without sounding too corny, but it really is. And you do make, pals and my regret is that i moved out of london without knowing you and your partner lived more or less just round the corner from me i couldn't believe (laughs) that when i found out still there we go next time i'm down in north london i will give you a shout i think there can only maybe be one bengal's household in kentish town at any given time otherwise (laughs) yeah we might implode (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Camden Council got some weird antiquated law written down somewhere in the in the bowels of their system that's kind of says that. So, uh, listen, Shuri, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure to get to know you. Great to meet your partner as well. Uh, but great to catch up and I'll hopefully see you again soon. Thanks, Paul. Likewise. Speak to you later. There we go. That was the brilliant Shuri Lim. Thanks to Shuri. And it was uh, a joy to meet her, her partner at the Super Bowl party a few weeks ago, probably about a month ago uh, now, wasn't it? Uh, Sarah Sherman is coming up a bit later. Let's talk a bit more about free agency. We're not going to talk too much about the draft because that's all all the good stuff is to come. But uh, as I say, the Bengals do or have in recent years methodically gone through the free agency process and filled holes, and that's what I expect them to do. So with that in, in mind, Nathan... Do you think the fact that the Super Bowl window is still wide open and all these guys are on rookie contract, do you think that will alter the type and the calibre of players that they're going to look at in free agency? I hope so. I mean, I can't remember the Bengals ever really being in a situation like this in the past where there's absolutely no question that they're in this window. They've got the cap space available to be ultra-aggressive. So I hope it does. Um like you can sit there and say, well, it's not normally within their character to to go out there and splurge and get guys at the top of the market and pay top dollar and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, they, they've never they've also never been in this position. So they're in the Super Bowl. They've got the best quarterback arguably they've ever had. There's a lot going in their favour. We all know it. So I hope they're aggressive. I hope they go Los Angeles Rams style. You know, I know there are a lot of people that look around the league and say, well, the Rams, it's it's reckless, it's risky, it's everything else. They've got a Super Bowl win under their under their belt now. And I think for any team, you'd sacrifice. I mean, I would absolutely, I'm sure everyone else would, sacrifice us being awful for three, four, five years after a Super Bowl win to get the Super Bowl win. You know, they, you kind of almost... I guess I've got to, you know, not worry too much about the year after and the year after that and just really do focus on the coming year because this will be our best chance to win a Super Bowl arguably forever with the team that we've got. So I hope they're aggressive, son. They can be aggressive. Obviously, I know they have got to think long term. You do have to think long term about the success of the franchise. But at the end of the day, a Super Bowl win um, is there. You know, I think we're the fourth favourite with the bookies. So I hope they they do have a little look round. I don't expect them to go absolutely balls deep and just go, you know, get five top tier guys in and just 
do everything they can, restructure deals to create more cap room and just be go a bit mental with it. But I think they'll I think they're good for probably two medium high starters, maybe three from and I'm talking purely guys that are coming from outside the building. Um But what I, I was gonna say, fine. what what does aggressive what what does aggressive look like to you? If you're talking mad aggressive, you go out and get like two. I mean, there's been you've seen people online who say, "Wow, they could go and get two or three guys on the line, and they get you know a really good tight end like a Gesicki or something." If he doesn't get franchise tagged, and you know, then we get another JC Jackson. Let's get him in as well. I mean, that that that'd be obviously like you know a bit mental. Um, because you're talking about if you go for Gazicki, I, I don't know whether he's got the franchise tag or not. He's under consideration. The rumor is that he is going to get tagged by Miami. So that's like, you know, 11, 12 million right there. And he's looking for sort of 13, yeah. 14 million ball accounts. Um, Terran Armstead, which people were getting into a, a tiz over, he's looking about 18 million. The same with Brandon Scherf. Um, yeah. You know, Ryan Jensen, 13 million perhaps for a centre. Are you willing? Yeah. You know, yeah. already with those yeah. three, four players, you you know, you busted the bank basically. And you, you still haven't kind of tagged Jesse Bates. You still yeah. haven't got an extra corner because let's face it, it's pretty likely uh, that Trey Waynes is going to be cut next week. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it's if you're going out and get Ryan Jensen, you're going to cut. Trey Hopkins, no, no, no doubt about that. Um, so it's 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 difficult, isn't it? I, I, um, because and then you you know you've got to think about all all the rest of the guy. Who are you going to play at right tackle next year? If you go and sign some big boy, uh, you know, uh, offensive lineman on the interior and get a new new shiny new left tackle, are you going to move Jonah to right tackle? That would seem the obvious move there. Um, you know, what about an extra receiver when someone like an Auden Tate leaves? I think Auden Tate's not going to be back next year, so you need a little bit of depth at wide receiver. Yeah. Um, you know, what's going to happen at cornerback? Um, Darius Phillips is probably not going to be brought back. Um, let's face it, Trey Waynes is going to be cut. Do you re-sign Eli Apple? He's going to want a little bit more money, I would assume. You know, so you're looking at four or five million for him, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you've got all these kind of, you know, what about Larry? What about defensive tackle next to GJ Reader? Are you going to sign one or both of Larry Ogunjobi and BJ Hill? Yeah, um, no, no. You know what I mean? It's, it, I've, I, I think it's really, really obviously the priority has to be offensive line. But you know, like you say, are you going to sign players for big bickies and disregard the rest of the team or? You know, are you going to go down the the line a little bit and and pick up some really, you know, a Joseph Noteboom, for instance, or yeah, um, I think, I think the Bengals have got to be careful with the whole because it's easy to get excited with all these names out there, your big names like you said, your Armstead, Jensen's, J.C. Jackson's, Gasicki's, and all you know, people like Rob Gronkowski, and they're, they're the sort of you know the, the exciting names. What you got to be careful of, and this is exactly what you said. The team that we had made the Super Bowl, um, outrageously so. Like well, that, we that's also that. That's also the argument that uh, Zach Taylor and Duke Tobin were making about the offensive line. That before in the, their press conferences before the combine, they were kind of saying, "Look, these guys got us to the Super Bowl." Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um, 
I, I mean, I don't think... But this is the argument. We, it's, it's the same with Jesse Bates and C. Joe Zama. Je, both the two of them are going to want, because their agents will be banging the table, and they're going to... You know, Jesse Bates is going to want a lot of money. C. Joe Zama is going to want probably about... I think he's on about six, seven million I saw today. So he's probably going to be wanting, you know, a bit more than that, seven, eight, nine million, <laughs> mate. And you look around and you think, oh, you know... On paper, are they the best use of the money? Would you say they're top-tier talent that you want to pay that sort of money to? I, it, it's hard to say, isn't it? But then you also don't want to upset the balance. You don't want to say, right, Larry Ogunjobi, you're off. Um, CJ, you know, who's the heart and soul of that locker room, you're off as well because we don't think you're worth, you know, we don't think we're getting bang for our buck paying you um, eight million, nine million, whatever you might want. Jesse Bates, you're off as well. And then you go and sign a few top shelf free agent and all of a sudden some of the guys in the locker room are thinking, well, I'm not really happy about that. You know, we've lost some leadership there. You know, these guys are coming in earning, you know, you're talking there about guys earning 16, 17 million, you know, coming in from other teams, haven't been there before. You just don't know. Do you? you don't want to upset set the chemistry and the culture that you know Zach's famous word that he's built and I think a lot of the guys in the locker room will be they'll be rooting for Jesse Bates they'll be wanting him to get his deal they'll think he deserves it same with CJ Ozama and some other, some of the other guys on the team you Riley Reef, Sogan Joby's BJ Hill you know there's a degree of loyalty there for the Bengals and sort of um you know keeping that locker room together that has got them to the Super Bowl now I I'm normally one of the biggest bang the drum for the offensive line over the last couple of years. It's obviously and clearly been a huge weakness of ours. And while I, I think we have to sign a player or two, and I'm including um, the, the scenario here that Riley Reef comes back, I really think that he'll come back on a sort of one-year deal again. I, I'd be surprised if he didn't. I don't think... You know, I, I don't, th- I don't. There's people talking about three players going in free agency. I don't think there's any chance of that. I think you probably, you definitely need one. You definitely need one good guy. If you said, right, we're getting Ryan Jensen in, that's the only signing we're making. But it's someone as good as like a Ryan Jensen, like he, a really solid top end centre that's coming in. We're going to pay him, I don't know, twelve, thirteen million, whatever he wants. That's your big signing. Then you'd say, well, okay, that's you know, that's a nice upgrade there. You get Quinton Spain back. But then uh, you're going to have to pay Quinton Spain. You're going to yeah, have to pay Riley Reef to come back as well. Yeah, no, true. But neither of them two are going to break the bank, are they? They're, they're, that's all fairly reasonable. And then you're probably going to be drafting a tackle or some sort of offensive lineman, guard, centre, whatever, in the first three rounds. No matter what you do in free agency, I think the Bengals are going to want some some youth coming through. And then you've got some of the guys from last year. You know, your Dante Smiths, you've got to see what you've got there. Jackson Carmen obviously wasn't, he didn't light the world on fire, but he's a you know, fairly high second-round pick that they're not going to give up on. So, you know, I, I, it really in some ways does come down to how the Bengals rate those guys. And, you know, yeah. do you see the development there? What does Frank Pollock say? Obviously his opinion is going to be heavily weighted towards where they go or what he thinks he's got at his disposal. But I don't think any three guys, I think, I don't even think you necessarily, and I'm, again, I'm talking about people outside the organization here working on the fact that they bring back Spain and, um, reef, which I, I personally think they'll bring both of them back. Certainly reef. But I don't think you need to go mental. Do you know what I mean? I think the talk of like bringing well, three... Well, you think... Uh, trouble is, people... I mean, people sit, uh, listen to this going, well, we need to go mental. Joe Borrow was sacked 70 times in the regular season last year. He knacked up his knee in the Super Bowl, albeit against Aaron Donald and that, 
you know, you know, all world, all universe player that is Aaron Donald. Um, yeah. I put a little question out on Twitter the other day. Would you have? Would you be happy with this week one lineup, Bengals fans? Uh, Jonah at left tackle, Quinton Spain left guard, uh, retain Trey Hopkins at centre. Uh, obviously, Trey Trey Hopkins was coming off an ACL last year, and yet he played through his recovery, and he wasn't great. He wasn't great. But then throughout the back end of the season, I thought he was much, much better. Uh, now that's not to say we should keep him or let you know or let him go or whatever. I'm just you know that those are the facts to my eyes that he played much better as his knee got better last year, a bit like Borough actually. Um, so Jonah left tackle, uh, Quinton Spain left guard, uh, Trey at centre, and then two new starters at right guard and uh, right tackle. Uh, they could be from the free agency, you know, free agency or the draft, you know. The majority of people who answered would be saying, kind of said, no, absolutely not. They would not be happy. Um, I wouldn't be crushed because the left-hand side has always been stronger than that right-hand side. And the interior has been the real problem. Quinton Spain played very well for about three quarters of the season. uh, And I wondered whether his age or whatever you know, fatigue or a little injury perhaps uh, kind of caused his play to, to decrease or the standard of his play decrease down uh, down the run. Uh, I mean, he's, I quite like Quinton Spain. In some ways, you want to reward him for his efforts last year, but you've got to be quite ruthless. So, yeah, my point is the majority of people said they would not be happy with that starting lineup. It depends, obviously, who those... I mean, if you slotted in someone like... A Lakin's, uh, Lakin Tomlinson, um, uh, and a Trent Brown at right tackle, or whatever it might be, then it puts a whole new complexion on things, doesn't it? But do you see what I mean? I think people will be screaming I, at us, going, "Why, why, why are you spending all your money on on the offensive yeah. line? That is the obvious weakness. We've not fixed it for six or seven years since Whitworth left. We have not fixed it. So now's yeah. the time when the window is wide open. The fresh air is streaming in we can see the promised land from that open window we've just got to crawl through it why don't we you know why don't we that is the strong argument and um i i I think that if you were to me personally that that sort of scenario that you laid down of those guys if you said to me that left side and then what you did in the obviously that you said Trey coming back at center. If you got Lake and Tomlinson in to play right guard and then you brought back Riley Reef, to me that's like, well, yeah, that's pretty good. And then you're obviously going to go out there and draft some sort of lineman, like I said, within the first three rounds. I think you'd look at that and say, well, you've got, you know, the backup there, the backup talent, you've got Danta Smith, you've got whoever you draft in the first three rounds this year that's obviously going to be a decent talent. You've got Jackson Carmen. I mean, to me, it's like mm, that's a much better line than we've had in the last three, four years. And that's only splurging on one guy. Now, I think two would be nice. I think if you said, look, we're actually uh, replacing Trey Hopkins with Ryan Jensen in there at centre. But then you're going to be spending a lot of money across those two positions. You know, Um, I think if you were going to do that, that'd be pretty much all you wrote. If you went out and got um, if you went out and got Jensen and Tomlinson and plugged those two guys into the line, um, and you brought back maybe Riley Reef as well. I think, oh, I mean, you know, the the rest of the the team 
you're going to be thin then. I think it's just going to be some sort of depth players, a couple of people coming back, like your Eli Apples maybe, but you're certainly not going to see anything much outside of those guys because there's always such a market for offensive linemen as well. There's so many teams around the league desperate for them. You can never never have enough of them. So, yeah, I just there's no chance. There's no way. I'll go out there now, son. There's no chance, and this can be like a freezing cold take, or you can get this soundbite. There is no way the Bengals are going out and bringing in three guys from outside the organization that you'd say were medium to top tier talents on that line. It's just not going to happen. I mean, you know, you've got your Lake and Tomlinsons, who would be my choice, I think. Um, but he's uh, he's going to be looking at about 10 mil, you would imagine. Uh, James Daniels, uh, who was a centre in the Billy Tri- uh, Billy Price draft, if you remember, and um, he could be commanding the same sort of money. Austin Corbett from the Rams, Connor Williams, Andrew Norwell. I kind of like the look of Ted Karras, I have to say, uh, from the Patriots. He might he might be that next level down in terms of price, but he's you know he scores just under eighty on PFF. Uh, you know, and that would be that would represent an instant upgrade, really, at that right guard. As long as they get that right guard spot sorted, and uh, then that would be very cool, I think. Uh, and it's exactly what's needed. Um, a lot of people talk about that Bozeman as well from the Ravens, aren't they? Bradley Bozeman. There's been yes. chat about him and the Bengals quite liking him, which is another interesting one. And I think that's, to be completely honest with you, more likely that you're going to see guys like that that are maybe like, you know, a bit of a step down from your sort of headline free agents. So just That's the one thing the Bengals don't tend to do. They don't go after the biggest names on the market and try and pay all sorts of money, partly because certainly in the past, if you're a big money free agent out there, it's not just the money that is what you're looking for. It's the fear, it's the city, it's how yeah. competitive the Bengals are, it's the weather, <clears throat> it's you know where their family's from. There's a lot of decisions that go into that. Now, I think the Bengals are in the best position they've ever been in in that respect because you literally have got a Super Bowl caliber team with Joe Burrow and a lot of linemen are going to say, actually, yep, I want to go and play for a um, a winner and someone that's got a genuine chance of winning the Super Bowl. So I think that's in the Bengals' favor this year and maybe they could compete with those top shelf guys and other teams that are going to be uh, sort of vying for them. But I think it's probably more likely that you will see the Bengals dip into that sort of, um, you know, top second tier with people like Bozeman and, you yeah. know, some of those characters. I quite I like Ben, jo- be ben Jones from the Titans as well. That would be a cheaper option at centre. Yeah. Um, OK, well, we're going to be talking about uh, free agency a lot more in depth next week uh, because that obviously that episode precedes uh, uh, free agency. Um um, so look out for that. But that's, I mean, you, our discussion has just represented how difficult it is, I think, to kind of juggle and, you know, keep these plates spinning and, and kind of distribute the money as evenly and as as, as best you can to fill uh, positions with, with quality players. It's really, really difficult, especially when you're looking at franchise tagging someone like Bates, who's 13 million, 13 and a half million straight off the bat. So we'll see. Let us know what you think. Uh, who who should we be going for? Um, I'll put that question out on Twitter. Now, as I mentioned earlier, it is, of course, our International Women's Day uh, episode. So let's bring in our special guest. As I mentioned earlier, we've got a very special guest on our International Women's Day podcast. Uh, she is an amazing mum of four, a champion tennis player, I believe, 
and someone who just happens to be Mrs. Zach Taylor as well. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Sarah Sherman. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on Cincinnati. It's it's great to talk to you. I've been following you on Instagram, which sounds a bit weird, a bit stalkery, but I'm following you on Instagram and you're great fun. And Zach always mentions you in kind of press conferences and the family. So it's so lovely to, to talk to you um, today. Um, well, it's been quite a year, really, hasn't it? I wanted to kick off, if that's OK, just by by asking you, as, uh, you know, we have our own fan experiences, and obviously this year has been incredible uh, as a Bengals fan. What's it been like as a member of the Taylor family, being part of that inner circle and experiencing the Super Bowl run? Um, it was crazy. It was a long two years to get to this fun year. And so it was just really amazing for me to be able to see Zach go through all those hard times and remain the same person and remain the same hard worker and keep the faith and then get rewarded with a season like this. It was pretty special. What was it like? I know that he works long hours. I know that you don't see him most of the day during the football season. Um, what was it like during the year? When when did you kind of know something special was happening? What what was the atmosphere like in the house? I'm, I'm sure the kids were like really into it as well. Yep, my kids have never missed a home game of Zach and <laughs> even went to a couple away ones this year. Um, I got to bring my boys to Kansas City. Didn't want the girls to go because they just make it a little more stressful. They're five and three. Right. It's a little, little younger and he likes to see us the night before if we're at an away game and he was like, they just add the craziness factor. So my we all went to the away national playoff game, the Kansas City game. He said, nope, for me, just the boys. And then we all obviously went to the Super Bowl, and it was amazing. I think my 11-year-old is really the only one who fully grasped what, like how incredible this was, but we all have fun. So your 11-year-old grasped it. What about you? As a coach, is what, obviously there's lots more to your personality and your life just being a coach's wife, but as a coach's wife... um. You have to kind of ride the highs and the lows with, or does is Zach pretty level headed? Does he bring his work home? Does he is it? Does he remain level headed throughout the the lows and the highs? Because as you say, it's been a tough two years to get here to this he stage. He does, and that's we are a good yin and yang. I am not level headed, so <laughs> right. I would have some days where I um, all throughout the three years I bring him a coffee during the weekdays when he's going to get home really late just so I can see him. And he lo- he loves coffee, so I'll bring him another venti from Starbucks around noon, and I'll be having a breakdown about that week or that game, and right. he'll calm me down. It makes no sense, but he's the best. He's And I think that's probably his biggest strength when he played quarterback, or when he coached with my dad. My dad always told me the reason I think he's so level-headed is that he played quarterback, and quarterbacks have to be that for the team, you know, somebody that isn't going to let an interception rock them. They go sit down and come back out and play better, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was an amazing run, and as I say, you know, us fans had our own experiences. You know, we held a huge Super Bowl party over here in London, and, you know, you can just imagine the excitement in, among the fan base. Um, what was it like it. What was it like for you? What, I mean, you personally, as I say, you know, you've grown up as a coach's daughter and now a coach's, you're now a coach's wife. Um did did you have any sort of special moments that you will never forget? Because of course, you were part of the 
the Rams Super Bowl run as well. So were there sort of conflicting emotions facing the Rams or uh, how did oh, you? No. No, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I want my husband to win. But I, ha- I did I did text the head coach's fiance right after the game and said congratulations because she was always really good to me. And I don't think we would have this job if it weren't for Sean McVay. Mm. So I can, even though I'm sad for me and Zach, I can be happy for them. And I still had probably five or six wives that are still in that staff that I really am happy for. But no, I wanted to win. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, what about special moments for you personally? What, what, what do you remember specifically about about the Super Bowl run? A little memory that you won't ever forget. I think when we the game was about to start and um, the national anthem was playing, they put Zach on the screen for like a good ten seconds, and I just started to cry. I'm just so proud of him, and I thought my husband is coaching a Super Bowl. This is incredible for the rest of history. That Super Bowl 56 is my husband yeah. on one side, and I'm he just is so deserving because he's such a good guy. He works so hard. The players love him, and he's done such a good job making this team a family. Yeah. So that moment there was pretty cool. And I can hear your voice cracking up now. So it's kind of, you know, those it's very personal memories, isn't it? The pride that you feel for Zach and the way he's worked so hard and his manner. I think that everyone as a fan has appreciated that. And he's been on this podcast before and he's a wonderful guy. And I I think you just wish the best for good guys. And it just always seems that Zach is a good guy, you know, without knowing him too well at all. But um, yeah, amazing times. Another thing I want to talk to you about, if that's okay, Sarah, um, I read a few of your blog posts. Uh, you did a, a blog a while back, and I do find it quite fascinating. The, the growing up as a as a as a coach's daughter, you must have re- moved around a lot. Of course, your dad is former Green Bay Packers head coach Mike Sherman. Yep. What was it like growing up uh, and having to move around? I, I saw sort of Texas in there, and obviously. Uh, Wisconsin and all those places is what kind of what kind of experience was that when you were growing up when um other coaches wives at this point in the business that didn't grow up as a coach's kid asked me about that you know worrying about their kids moving around a lot I always say I have friends all over the country and I really think it made myself and all my siblings outgoing you know you have to just pull up your bootstraps and make new friends I I moved three times in high school and with Zach, at one point, we moved five times in five years, and I think you just have to roll with the punches and be thankful you have a job, and I've, I've seen places all over, and it sounds crazy, but Cincinnati is my absolute favorite. It's just like good people, good Midwest living, easy to live here, so when he got let go at UC and we went to the Rams, I was devastated because I wanted <laughs> right. to live here, and in my wildest dreams, I would never have guessed he would come back as the head coach. It's just amazing. So... um what was what? How did you take the news when Zach got the Bengals job? Okay, so how, the Bengals kind of reached out to Zach, I'm sure, and there was a long period where I guess no one could say anything or do anything because of the rules and the Super Bowl and all the rest of it. Um, you must have been going crazy, weren't you? I, I, I'm sure I would have been. It's kind of you must have been so excited with the potential and possibility of moving back to Cincinnati. So he didn't sign the contract until after the Super Bowl. So it was a little nerve wracking. You know, we knew he had this job, but it's not over till it's over. And you sign that contract. So that was a stressful few weeks. But then also I respected that he really he was gave his all in that Super Bowl, even though he had that job. 
he wasn't going to let Tom McVeigh down and be distracted by that. So he did a good job. And when you came back to Cincinnati, as you say, it's been a tough few years. Uh, it's been, it's you know, moving on from an established regime with established players and club legends and all the rest of it. It's difficult to kind of make that transition. Um you also said in your blog, you kind of live, not live and die, that's too weird a saying, but do you know what I mean? You really live the highs and lows along with your husband there. I did. I think like anything special, it sometimes takes a while to build it. You know, it just things like that, that are really incredible, don't happen overnight. And so during the times when we were really losing a lot, like our first season, we didn't win until week 12. And I would cry like, am I... Is my husband going to go down as one of those that one of the few zero and sixteen teams? Like when we won that twelfth game, the first season, the first win, mm. I, I, it was like my Super Bowl. I was just so relieved <laughs> we weren't going to have no wins, and I knew that it was just a part of a process. Or he had to get players he believed in he that believed in him. He had to get players that worked with what he wanted to do on the offense and the defense. And I also feel a lot of love and respect for the Browns because they were patient with us and another team might have fired us and like mm. I'm just so thankful for that because it all did work out and the process worked but the NFL is a gnarly business and they not every team would have kept him and trusted that he was doing it right yeah absolutely I think we were all thrilled when Zach got that first win it must have been such a huge monkey off the back and just gave confidence and um, yeah, it was fantastic. I, I want to go back to your blog again, Sarah, if that's okay, because you are unflinchingly honest in that blog, and it was a really fascinating read. Um, you detailed what it's like to be a head coach's wife. I mentioned earlier, Zach works long hours. He puts a lot of lot of himself into that job, a lot of time. You've got four kids, and you, you kind of said it's lonely sometimes. You kind of you really have to multitask. Some days you're kind of fixing. I don't know, something in the house and then one day you're taking kids to dance practice or soccer practice or whatever. It's it, it, Just talk us through what it's like being a head coach's wife. Um, it's not easy. There's a, it's a lot. Um, and the season from basically July 20th until hopefully next year again, February, until the games are over, you are pretty much on your own. He is an amazing dad. If he can mm. be home, he's home. He's not the type that's going to be at work pushing papers around. He does his best to get out of there as fast as he can. And when he is home, he's all in. He's incredible. I'm very lucky. So I just try to remember that he's he's there doing his job, and I love living here so much. And um, I really I love it. I can't imagine him doing anything else. When we got let go at UC there was like a three-week period he didn't have that Rams job yet and I thought what if he like just became a dentist or something that would be so <laughs> weird <laughs> I really do love it I think it's there's highs and there's lows but I can't really imagine doing anything else in my life and there's it's a lot of fun uh the coaches wives on staff are amazing and we're all family we take care of each other I have a coach's wives breakfast every single Thursday at 9 30 at my house kids welcome I have a sitter there to help and we just sit around drink coffee and vent about whatever that's going on that week so that helps a lot too and i'm not gonna lie i have some amazing sitters that help me out so yeah right yeah i mean that's amazing it sounds though you know you've got a community there it's not just you you've got a community there to help you out when you need it yep i wouldn't be where i i would not be where i am without my alia and lexi those are my girls okay shout out to to those guys um now obviously zach 
has had a tremendous year along with the staff and the players and the club and the fan base as well. It's it's kind of just been sensational. We I think we he, I mean, we've always been proud Bengals fans, you know, win or lose. But when you have a season like that, goodness me, it you just burst with pride. I mean, Zach must be and you must be aware of the feeling in the city. And now the kind of wider world, you know, it, it must be, you must be incredibly proud of everything that's happening. Very. I, the most special part for me during that playoff run was just the city went crazy. Everywhere you went, it was bagel stuff. Hmm. It, felt, it felt like these people who are lifelong fans, it was just so neat. There was videos put together on YouTube of people celebrating. Oh my gosh, I would rewatch them and my oldest would go, Mom, stop watching. It makes you cry. <laughs> but it just felt so cool to be a part of that and to know that Zach was partly responsible for getting them to that point. And then also um, all these players, like whenever he would win games, you know, that first playoff win, uh, I think it was Tyler Boyd jumped on him. And yeah. I just know that these guys have such cool relationships and it makes me so happy because I know Zach and I know who he is. Mm. But during those first two years, it's just hard. He's not winning. That's at the end of the day, that's what you have to do. So it was hard to think people didn't know the Zach I know. So that was just good for me. Made me feel so happy that people could see he is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, here's a question. I'm going to let you go in a minute because I know you're extraordinarily busy today. Um, <laughs> can you claim any credit whatsoever for the Bengals' success? Can you? Have you ever kind of whispered in Zach's ear, listen, you should sign that guy or maybe you should play him there or maybe do this play? Have you ever done that? Because your football knowledge... You know, growing was a coach's daughter, now married to a coach. Must be off the charts. So have you ever whispered any suggestions at all to your husband? Absolutely not. Oh. This is a joke. Hilarious. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, uh, when we were first married, I had said I wanted to be able to sit in the stands. And if somebody says something like a fan that's frustrating, I wanted to be able to talk back and, and talk nicely and actually sound like I know what I'm talking about. Right. So one night we spent like 45 minutes and he was showing me like different receiver routes. And one is, like you go up and this receiver turns around and I was like, Oh, look a candy cane. And he was like, Sarah, I can't, you're done. I cannot teach you anything else. I think just because I've gone to football games my entire life, I have some natural source of knowledge that you can't help, but you know, I've been going to them my whole life, but no, I, he does him and I do me. And when he comes home, unless I ask him something, he, he's all about the family. Um, I mean, he just, he leaves it off the, at the office and, um, when we were at the Rams and he was not like the head coach, he was a position coach. I used to make whatever position, like Jared Goff, his quarterback, I used to make him cookies. Right. So whenever they'd win, I would say, oh, I'm sure it's because of my cookies. But now that he's the head coach, I cannot make all 80 players cookies. So I don't do that anymore. So you can't claim any any success in that. Um, Unfortunately not. It's all Zach. But I, okay. I will claim the success of we have the four best kids, and I feel like I, I do a good job of holding down the fort so that he can do his job right. Um, just finally, just speaking about family again, um, you do have a lovely family and that comes through with Zach as a person and uh, just, just you can just tell on your Instagram feed what a, a brilliant family you have. Um, how big a deal was it when Zach got that extension, knowing that you were able to stay in the same place, a place that you really obviously love living in for the next four years? You know, that must have been a great feeling. Okay, first, this, everybody keeps saying four years because it says through 26, but it's actually five. So if okay. you count 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, it's actually five years. Okay. I mean, I am just, <laughs> and you have no idea. When Zach came home and said that, I just, 
we have this most amazing street. These neighbors are like our family, and we all take care of each other. My kids love their school, and my oldest really takes it hard if they lose. And so for him, the smile on his face when he said, we're going to be here five more years, it just was so special. Yeah, no, it must be. And I guess a relief as well. You don't have to move the kids anymore. You don't have to think about that for another five years. Thank you for correcting me. Um <laughs> Everybody's uh, always like, congrats on the four years. I'm like, no, it's five. I know, because you've probably got that circled on your calendar and you're thinking, what, four? No, it's five years. Come on now, five years. Um, just before you go, Sarah, what about this season? Obviously, Zach's working hard. Uh, the draft is coming up, free agency in a couple of weeks. I mean, um, we all would love, now we've got a taste. It's like most fans. Now you have a taste of something, you want more of it. Um, uh, are you... On a personal level, are you hopeful this season? What's what's the vibe in the Taylor household? I truly believe we're going to be back in the Super Bowl. I mean, you have Joe Burrow. You just know you're going to do big things. And the guys that he ended up getting over the past couple of years to surround him, the chemistry, you can just feel it. You can feel it in interviews. You can feel it when they celebrate together. So I just pray that the whatever free agents we get continue to add to that chemistry because it's just a really special team. And I really believe no matter how athletic or insanely good of a football player you are, it's not going to happen unless you're meshing as a team. So I'm just looking forward to hopefully getting maybe a lineman or two and (laughs) and going to having more fun. Well, I think that's the main topic of conversation uh, within the fan base. It's interesting that you're even thinking that as well. So I guess there must be hard work at trying to source some new up, new big guys up front. And that's no disrespect to the guys that got us to the Super Bowl, obviously. But Oh, um, exactly. We have some phenomenal guys. But, yep, that would, I mean, that is, does seem like what everybody wants. And so right now, Zach's at the Combine. And not every team even goes to the Combine. So um, he, he does in crazy interviews. I mean, it's as much about these guys' personality as their physical part, too. So he wants guys that have no ego, want to be there, want to mm. be a team player. It'll be interesting to see what happens. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because when Zach came on to the podcast a few years ago, he kept mentioning the word culture. And it's easy to be cynical about that because it sounds like, you know, coach speak, quite honestly. And you're not quite sure what culture can mean. But goodness me, this year, I think we all understood what Zach meant because that feeling in the locker room and we we're 4,000 miles away and we felt that kind of camaraderie and fun and so goodness knows what it was like for you guys when you went to the stadium and hung out with the players I mean was that that was there that real special feeling around the group absolutely so because of COVID yeah our first year we were at the stadium a lot more like on Monday nights we'd have family dinner so that kids could see their dads because they work real crazy late on Mondays especially which is Mm. crazy to me because it's the day after the game but anyway with COVID protocols the last two years have not been nearly as much contact but then during the playoff run we would stay at the team hotel and I mean Joe Mixon like gave my mom a hug and talked to her CJ Uzoma could not be a kinder human being it's just so cool to see these guys succeed but they're actually legitimately wonderful people and i know joe burrow does and he is the most disciplined player ever and it's so he comes off on the football field Mm. you're just happy for these guys that are doing everything the right way and then getting the result Mm. no that really came through and it just makes you realize that there is a human side to to football as much as we like to shout and scream and kind of scrutinize i don't know hand 
width, length, and kind of all this stuff that's going on in the combine and and forty yard dash times and all that. There is a human side to this game, so it's it felt like a a lovely alignment of the stars this this season. I must say, um, Sarah, thank you so much for the time. Um, it's it's so lovely to talk to you, um, and I really do appreciate um, you coming on to the podcast and. Fingers crossed for the season, and uh, uh, and I hope you have a well, a slightly less well, busy Saturday. Thank you so much. I actually I'm in the parking lot doing this. My girlfriend, mom, who's in the ballet class, her daughter's in the ballet class. She just texted me that my girls got kicked out today. Oh my we goodness! We had such a crazy we had such a crazy morning that they were not behaving when we got here. I mean, this is mom <laughs> life. This is hilarious. It was an honor to talk to you. You seem so sweet. Well, um, thank you. That's very kind. You too. And uh, do give our regards to Zach. As I said before, just if you follow Sarah on Instagram, you know what a lovely, lovely family uh, the Taylor Shermans are. And uh, I couldn't be more thrilled to talk to you today, Sarah. So thanks a lot. And, uh, well, maybe we'll speak again soon. Who knows? It would be an honour. Thank you so much for having me. Talk to you soon. There we go. That's the brilliant, lovely Sarah Sherman. Can't thank her enough for coming on uh, and what a brilliant chat Nathan she gave us a real insight in what it was like or what it is like and you know what it was like during the Super Bowl and to be a coach's wife it's uh, it's an unusual I wouldn't say unique but it's an unusual position to be in and I think it takes uh, a lot of skill <laughs> you know got a multitasking skill she's got four kids to look after and uh you know she must lead an extraordinary life 100 percent. and thank you so much um to her for coming on you know always such a great great insight and um great to hear from the taylor family and yeah full credit to her and i it was you know that super bowl one was obviously emotional to her you heard her you know, breaking down a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that took me aback because you don't, as fans, we don't think about that. And no. she she lives, uh, again, I mentioned it, I don't want to use live, the phrase, li, you know, lives and dies because obviously with what's going on in the world at the moment, it seems ridiculous to use that phrase. But she experiences the highs and lows along with her husband. And when she saw her husband on the big screen, at the Super Bowl after a t- really tough couple of years when everyone probably was calling for his head, she yeah. she must have felt really... I mean, well, she still does. It's quite obvious. You know, it's still it's an immense a, amount of pride there. I think that's such a good point. And I think when you look back to those times when in Zach's first and second years, when people are calling for his head, there's a lot of unsavory things said and a lot of pressure. And you can only imagine just how as a family and in the household that that's going to be felt. And I think that's why there's that enormous amount of emotion and pride for someone to battle through that. I mean, I really at times thought that there was no way that Zach was coming back and it might be the end of end of the line for him and for him to put this franchise not just through a winning season and into the playoffs but to get us to a bloody Super Bowl I mean absolutely extraordinary and I I can completely see why you'd feel like that you know you've seen the absolute bottom and I think you've seen the top so oh incredible and I you know I can imagine that the emotions are flowing you know yeah absolutely big thanks to Sarah Sherman lovely to speak to her and what, and what a lovely family and uh, the Taylors genuinely genuinely are uh, right, let's get to your correspondences, uh, Dastardly Duncan, at Dastardly Duncan. Solid end. 
I think everyone is forgetting we're the Bengals. Maybe the new Bengals, but the Bengals all the same. I'd be shocked if we get more than two upper-level free agents. And we shouldn't be surprised if the organisation wants to develop their own players should free agents start getting silly money. Remaking the yeah. O-line is a fun exercise, but we should also remember that roster turnover does not equal instant success. I'm massively positive for next season, but we need quality and value over quantity and splash. There you go. I, yeah. I, I tend to agree with him, actually. Um I just don't think the Bengals, they never have, I'd be shocked if they do, are going to want to overpay people at crazy positions and almost feel a bit desperate. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You look at what the Rams have done, they, they don't mind going out there and being like, we're getting Jalen Ramsey in and we're going to get Von Miller in and you know all the salary that comes with those guys because um, they're desperate and aggressive to win. The Bengals do like some value. They don't like you know feeling like they're overpaying or being a bit silly. Um, you look at the deals, and of, they did last and of year. course, sorry to interrupt, but of course, it's the way the Bengals like to structure their contracts as well. As we spoke with Andre Perotta last uh, last year, maybe I'll retweet that episode because it's well worth the listen. Where Andre um, explains what the salary cap is and how it works, and the way the Bengals like to structure their contracts, they're not big on guaranteed money up front, which can be a problem when you're trying to attract free agents sometimes. No, it's a great point. And, you know, when free agents are looking around and they're selecting where they want to go, there's going to be a lot of offers out there. And, you know, people are always going to naturally be quite interested in your Floridas and your your New Yorks and your Los Angeles. And but do you, think, do you think that's the problem now? We've got Joe Burrow. We've just been to the Super Bowl. That's a huge draw. Joe Burrow has turned yeah, some yeah, serious I think, heads. I still think there's going to be a lot of players out there that if the money's similar or the money's maybe slightly more that you might want to go and play out in California just because the lifestyle, the weather, the, you know, the, the type of property that you could get and the lifestyle that you could live out there. I think there's a lot of that that'll come into it as well. I think Cincinnati is a great city. I, I really want to get out there. There, but he's not known for obviously he's not like a New York is it let's face it so I think there's there's that there um, Burrow will be a huge draw the fact they made the Super Bowl will be a huge draw it's a young sexy team people like Jamar Chase yet to come and play with and I think there'll be a lot of respect there for sure um, but I yeah I don't know I, I, I still think for the Bengals it, it might be difficult it depends who you're up against if you're up against someone like you know you've got some money out there for a free agent and you're up against Cleveland or Carolina or someone like that I don't think you're going to have too much of a trouble but if it's a big sexy team like you know that you've got someone like um, like the Rams who are trying to attract someone and people like that San Francisco I think you, you may then struggle you know but um, we, we shall see um, Peter Zadwa, I, I kind of disagree with you. I think the, the tide has turned on that one. But uh, anyway, uh, at Dadda's, Pajama Olympics was fun. Tampering period uh, soon upon us. FA and then the draft. Fun times. Two big spending free agent off-seasons hasn't completely washed away. Uh, past experiences of Bengals in FA, but those recent successful ones have made it more exciting. Indeed. Of course, that uh, success and... Uh, activity in free agency markets breeds expectation, doesn't it? It's. Uh, I think we're all expecting now some action, and I think there will be. It's just a case of where, when and where the action will be. Jamie at Trek White Beaster, I have a cough, so I want some on-air sympathy. Very excited and intrigued about free agency. We should sign everyone, obviously. 
James Daniels and trading for Tunsil at the top of my list. Are you going to trade 30, you know, uh, your first round pick for Laramie Tunsil, Nathan? I do think there's a strong argument out there for trading the first round pick. I mean, it's all well and good developing someone, etc. But I, I think that, you know, any first round pick, certainly at 31 as well, where you're bordering on it being a second round type of talent, it's not going to be sort of an elite starter like a Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, that's going to immediately come in and just be playing a very high level straight away. And especially on the line, and we've looked in the past, I mean, some of these guys that we've got in the, the top of the second round and stuff that just haven't... Um, They've taken, you know, they've taken a while to work out. So I'm not against it. I think if you were to go out and give a first round for Laramie Tunsil, I could be on board with it. Um, and I think that, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. So what do you reckon? I mean, I, 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 I'd love Laramie Tunsil. I think he's brilliant. But the trouble is, you're going to take on two years, at 18 million. That's the problem with uh, Laramie Tunsil. That's what he comes with. A two year. You've got to pick up his 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 contract, which is two years left. And it's eighteen million a year, I believe. So you know, I I would like him though, but um, but the trouble is also my priority is the interior. I think you know Jonah's solid. He's unspectacular, but he's solid, and I'll take solid at this moment in time. I just need to see the guards and the centre uh, better because that's where all the problems have come. All the problems. Uh, Michael Smith at conniving underscore crow. Um, Scandal. A nice two-week break in Lanzarote running after my three-year-old and piling on weight serves as a nice distraction, he says about his off-season. Let's spend, spend, spend on some protection and build the hype towards the inevitable Super Bowl. Like it. Ken Troop at Super Trooper 64. Um, I actually trust our coaches to make the right choices, so happy to wait and see how things unfold. But for purely selfish reasons... Want to see Kevin Huber re-signed? I think you might have. Oh, you might be disappointed with that this year. I think uh, Darren Simmons said that he's going to be in a kicking competition with Drew Chrisman. Uh, I don't know. I, I, it's, I'd be, it'd be very sad because Huber's brilliant and he's been brilliant to us over the years. Um, I don't know. This might be it for Kev. Who knows? I think he's coming back some. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset about that at all. I love Kevin Hume. I think he's still a good player, but uh, I don't think he has his best year last year. So he is in a bit of a scrap, I think. Uh, James Foreman at James Foe nine three nine double zero four two seven. Shocking handle. Probably going to sign Ryan Jensen. Heard through the grapevine. Now, uh, James, would that grapevine be Twitter? by any chance um i'm sure it probably is need a right tackle and we would be heading in the right direction i like the kid from northern iowa i mean narrow it down a lot of kids in northern iowa james um or get tunsil and move jonah williams um see i i yeah i think people might be getting distracted just offensive line offensive line offensive line i think you've got to be laser focused on the absolute weaknesses and the absolute weaknesses to me were right guard and at some point center so i think for me those are the two positions that i'd really focus on and um and if we take care of them i might think about bringing back quinton spain or seeing who else is out there that's i think that might be my 
my approach to it, I think. Matt Gibbs at Wakey Ram. I'm. This is a good one to end it on, actually. I'm thinking I'm not going to stress on it. They did a fantastic job on the defence last year. Time to trust Zach and Duke to make improvements where required. Chill, folks. There you go. So you know what? basically what? the last hour and a quarter it's just been for nothing. We should have just, just read out Matt Gibbs' tweet and we should just all relax, basically, which he's got a very good point. Do you, do you know what's an interesting, like, and this would never happen, it's probably not a very good idea, but I'm going to say it out loud. Go on. What about if you just went out there and you said, well, get Riley Reef back, get Quinton Spain back, basically re-sign the line we had last year. I reckon it, it's only going to – you probably draft someone, in, like I said, in the first three rounds. So you had a new guy that you drafted potentially in the first, second round. You obviously got Carmen after another training camp, a bit more year. You got Dante Smith. Now, you don't sign anyone on the offensive line apart from a guy in the draft. And you say, well, it was decent last year. You know, it wasn't good enough, but it still got us to the Super Bowl, like we said. And you're adding a bit of talent. People are going to develop. You know, maybe it improves slightly. You spend the money elsewhere, you go and get an elite tight end, like you get a Gesicki or you get someone like that, Dalton Schultz, if he doesn't get franchise. You you spend some money like that to give Burrow another weapon just to be even more dangerous. You get JC Jackson in a cornerback to seriously upgrade that position. You get Jesse Bates back, obviously, with that money. You, you, you spend around the roster to just make it even more talented in other positions rather than the line. I mean, the line's one of those as well where, like, you, you can't base decisions really on this, but people get injured all the time on the line you know you, the, the line that you can get you go out there and pay ryan jensen and he could go down first player training camp now that's true for a lot of positions but linemen in particular they're big guys you know they take a lot of wear and tear they do take knocks but i don't know i'm just thinking you know what what about if we did bother son you know we just said actually, i think if they didn't bother i think there'd be riots and i think there'd be <laughs> we're trusting in jackson jackson carmen is the future he's going to come in at guard He's going to tear it up. Dante Smith's going to tear it up at tackle. They're both unbelievable talents. I mean, the the thing is, I here, reckon they should bring back Alex Redmond. I really do. I think he's he had his time away from the is, game. He's matured. He's brilliant. Or even get Bobby Hart back. Get Bobby Hart and Alex Redmond back. Just why not? Why not? The one last thing, closing final thought from me. Go on. The one thing I'd say here: the Bengals know they need to win, but. They did also just draft Dante Smith and Jackson Carmen last year. They certainly won't want to give up on them. And I think they'll have a higher opinion of the two of them probably than any of fans will because they only drafted them a year ago. They're in love with them. It's their picks. You know, um, Frank Pollock's going to obviously be banging the table for them because he would have been involved, I'm sure, in the draft process. So... That's one thing you've got to remember. As much as we think, well, Carmen he didn't do much last year, he's certainly not the answer. People within the Bengals may well think very, very differently around that because they were the ones that you know went up in the drafted him quite early in the second round, but not a lot of thought. Pete, uh, not a lot of people thought he was going to be the pick, uh, and apparently they really liked him. So they certainly won't want to feel like they're throwing the towel in and stunting his development, and not giving him a chance. So I'm not saying by any means that they're going to turn around and say, actually, no, these are the guys. But just thinking when you're talking about three people coming in, maybe even two people coming in, um, top-tier talents, that they won't be discounting those young guys. No, I don't think so. And, you know, the the, the jump that people take from year one to year two is, is arguably the most significant. So you would hope for... A major improvement from Jackson Carmen. He will have he will have seen what the NFL is all about. He will have had to get his weight down, had to improve technique, knows what it takes to be an NFL player now. 
Uh, Deontay Smith was unlucky last year, but I like him. And I think he could be, out of all those guys last year, the one to uh, to really progress. Um, but yeah, they need to sign some top talent while those guys develop. And I expect them to draft a couple as well. So hopefully they'll have about eight or nine or ten or eleven guys on the line competing uh, in training camp. So um, let's hope so. They need to improve. We know they do and they have to do it by hook or by crook. Right, thank you so much for listening. Huge thanks to Cherie Lim for joining us. A huge thanks to Sarah Sherman, Mrs. Zach Taylor, for joining us. Uh, thank you, the you, for listening to us. Um, uh, I hope you enjoyed our International Women's Day podcast. We'll be back again next year with that. And, of course, throughout the year, we'll have lots of other uh, brilliant women in football appearing on the podcast. That's something that we really do pride ourselves on. In the meantime, go and follow uh, Jess and Jerry and Kyla and Whitney and Tigress Talk. They do a brilliant job uh, over there in, in the US, uh, an all-female vodcast, and that, that's great. Um, and, uh, you know, if you know, uh, if you've got female friends or relatives that have shown an interest in the NFL, point them our way. Uh, we're always trying to get or attract new female uh, fans uh, for the Bengals so uh, we'll be back with more free agency uh, natter next week uh, keep in touch with us uh, as the news goes down in the next couple of days uh, we're at today underscore UK on Twitter uh, Bengals UK on Facebook and Bengals underscore UK on Instagram so until next week dear friends it is a who day from me and a who day from me cheers guys And it should also be noted that the views and opinions expressed within this podcast do not reflect those of the Cincinnati Bengals organisation.